Father God, we welcome you here this morning. We welcome your spirit. We welcome your being. We welcome your mercy. And we welcome your grace. Thank you for choosing us for your kingdom. Thank you for the opportunity to call ourselves children of your kingdom. We ask, Lord, that you are blessed, that you receive these lyrics, these notes, these words, and this teaching. In Jesus' name, amen. Scripture reading this morning is from Isaiah chapter 49, verses 1 through 7. Listen to me, you islands. Hear this, you distant nations. Before I was born, the Lord called me. From my birth, he has made mention of my name. He made my mouth like a sharpened sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me into a polished arrow and concealed me in his quiver. He said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will display my splendor. But I said, I have labored to no purpose. I have spent my strength in vain and for nothing. Yet what is due me is in the Lord's hand, and my reward is with God. And now the Lord says, He who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him and gather Israel to himself. For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has been my strength. He says, It is too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob, and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. This is what the Lord says, the Redeemer and Holy One of Israel, to him who was despised and abhorred by the nation, to the servant of rulers. Kings will see you and rise up, princes will see and bow down, because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel who has chosen you. cry out for you the living God your spirit's water for my soul I've tasted and I've seen come once again to me I will draw near to you I will draw near to you Better is one day, better is one day, better is one day than thousands elsewhere. Better is one day, better is one day, better is one day than thousands elsewhere. Yeah, yeah. 
Looked down from a broken sky Traced out by the city lights My world from a mile high Best seat in the house tonight Touch down on the cold black top Hold on for the sudden stop Breathe in familiar shock Confusion and chaos All those people going somewhere Why have I never Give me your eyes for just one second. Give me your eyes so I can see everything that I keep missing. Give me your love for humanity. Give me your arms for the brokenhearted, ones that are far beyond my reach. Give me your heart for the ones forgotten. Give me your eyes so I can see. Yeah. 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 Ooh, your love is a symphony all around me, running through me. Ooh, your love is a melody underneath me, running through me. I've been keeping my eyes wide open. I've been keeping my eyes wide open. I've been keeping my heart wide open. I've been keeping my heart wide open. Yeah. 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 Stepped out on a busy street, see a girl in our eyes meet. Does her best to smile at me, to hide what's underneath. There's a man just to her right, black suit and a bright red tie. Too ashamed to tell his wife, he's out of work, he's buying time. All those people going somewhere, why have I never? Give me your eyes for just one second. Give me your eyes so I can see everything that I keep missing. Give me your love for humanity. Give me your arms for the brokenhearted, for ones that are far beyond my reach. Give me your heart for the ones forgotten. Give me your eyes so I can see. Yeah. 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 Ooh, your love is a symphony all around me, running through me. Ooh, your love is a melody underneath me, running to me. I've been keeping my eyes wide open. I've been keeping my eyes wide open. I've been keeping my heart wide open. I've been keeping my heart wide open. Better is one day. Better is one day. 
better is one day than thousands elsewhere. Better is one day, better is one day, better is one day than thousands elsewhere, thousands elsewhere. Good morning. I read to you from 1 Corinthians, and I read verses 1 through 9. Paul, called as an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Sosthenes, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by calling, with all who in every place call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus, that in everything you were enriched in him, in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you, so that you are not lacking in any gift, awaiting eagerly the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end, blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, through whom you were called into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. These are the words of God to us this morning. Having uh, half the congregation uh, come forward to be part of the family during a baby dedication uh, is a wonderful sight. It, it also has a way of reminding me of uh, how precious little family I actually have. Um, God did not uh, see fit to uh, include in my world a biological brother, so instead he gave me Joe Monicum. Uh, I first met Joe, I was trying to do the math this morning, and Sunday morning is a bad time for me to do math. Uh, I think it was 17 years ago when... Uh, yeah, for some of you, that's a long time. Um, when uh, Joe was a rookie uh, college recruiter with Heston College, and I was a pretty new uh, Mennonite bishop in Southern California, and I get a call from this hotshot college recruiter wanting to take me to lunch. Well, rule number one in being a conference a church bureaucrat is never turn down lunch on somebody else's budget. So I picked a restaurant that I knew was a little pricey and uh, arranged to meet Joe there and we met and he just comes on like gangbusters and, and, and he's got a whole presentation about why Heston College is just the greatest thing since sliced bread. Now I grew up in central Kansas, I knew about Heston College and so he finally looks at me and he says, what is it going to take to get high school students from Mennonite churches in Southern California to come to Heston College. Oh, I love it when people ask me those kinds of questions. I looked at him and I said, you're going to have to come back. 
because year after year, college recruiters would come, and college recruiters change like some people change underwear. You know, they just, it's a revolving door. And nobody had ever built up a relationship with any of our churches or any of our young people. So I said, you're going to have to come back. And I figured, yeah, boy, I brought the snark. He is, he is just flattened and, you know, poor guy. Now he's going to go on to do, you know, whatever important thing he was going to do in life. Now he looks at me and he says, okay, I'll be back. And within a year, he was back with a whole spreadsheet about why Heston College was a bargain compared to UC schools and Cal State schools. Now, I hate it when people outsnark me. <laughs> but I knew in that moment I had found a kindred spirit. And so the conversations continued, and they turned to, Joe might want to come to Fuller Theological Seminary. And without thinking about budgets or fundraising or just the added stress of somebody as snarky as Joe in the office next to me, I said, why don't you come to work with me? And I offered him a job on the spot, not knowing how I was going to pay for it, uh, figuring that I would, you know, I could always sell Jordan if I needed to. <laughs> um, and uh, for nine years, we, uh, we raised havoc together. Uh, sometimes I had to clean up his messes. Mostly he had to clean up my messes. And together, uh, we, uh, we fought the good fight. Uh, Joe finished it master's degree and stuck around and did a doctorate degree in uh, anthropology, wrote a groundbreaking thesis on uh, racism in the church and how to dismantle it, um, and then got uh, his dream job, uh, uh, posting with Mennonite Central Committee, directing their program in Asia. Uh, now, as you notice, the family resemblance between Joe and I, while it's significant, is somewhat different. Um, <laughs> Joe was born in, in uh, Chiang Mai, Thailand, of parents from India. Uh, his parents were the first missionaries called by the Church of South India to go uh, to another country, and they settled in Thailand and Chiang Mai and worked there for years. And uh, so Joe brings an amazing cultural perspective, um, but Asia is home. It's where his heart beats the strongest when he's not in Southern California. And uh, uh, five years ago, uh, MCC sent you two. Two, two years ago, MCC, MCC, finally, <laughs> MCC finally saw the light, Mennonite Central Committee finally saw the light and said, maybe our regional program director should live in region. So Joe got to leave Lancaster, Pennsylvania, where it snows and it's cold and, and uh, move back to Chiang Mai. And of course, the Chiang Mai police were not real happy about that, have, Joe having been a young person in that community and having firsthand knowledge of many of, no, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> but uh, uh, Joe's come full circle. And uh, when uh, West Coast MCC office contacted me and said, Joe Monicum's coming to town, would, would you be interested in, uh, in having him at Madison Street Church, it was sort of like, uh, yeah, yeah, uh, we'll take all of him we can get. And so, uh, Dr. Monicum, it's a privilege to have you with us this morning. Come up, let me pray with you, and you bring the word. Thank you, Father, for my brother, for his love for you and his family, 
for his love for the church, for his love for mission, for his love for all peoples. Uh, anoint him by your Holy Spirit this morning as he speaks to us. Give him grace and boldness and courage and joy as he breaks the word to us, we pray through Christ. Amen. Just to warn you, Jeff, today's mess is yours to clean up. I'm out of here tomorrow. <laughs> Sisters and brothers, it's, it's wonderful to be here with you. Having known Jeff for many years and hearing his journey through the different ways, and when I heard that he had landed here and how you have welcomed him, created a space for him, and brought him to be part of your family, it does my heart good. We're all on a journey of different sorts, and this church is on a journey. Madison Street is on a journey. What I want you to know today, without a doubt, is that you all give me hope. Though today might be the first day I'm here among you in person, I read your newsletters. They make it out there. And for those of us who live out there, the snippets that we hear of what's going on here is vital. It's critical. And to you, it may seem like a small thing. To you, it might seem like, oh, all we're doing is this little garden, or all we're doing is connecting with this family or in that neighborhood or this ministry or that ministry. But it's those little snippets, the painting that comes out of that, that we feel connected to when we're sitting out there in the middle of nowhere, surrounded by people that don't always understand us, and we may not always understand them. So I wanna thank you. I wanna thank you for the hope that you provide me when I'm out there and something as simple as your newsletter. And that much more reason why I am honored to be here today. I'll confess, I'm, uh, as, as I've prepared today's message, this is probably one of the more scarier messages, dare I say, for me to do. And, and I will confess, I feel somewhat um, uncomfortable with today's message. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. is an icon for us, to us, in many ways. And today's the day that our nation recognizes him and celebrates him and the legacy. But the legacy is something that's far greater than one man. And the legacy that he's left goes around this world. One of the privileges I've had is to travel in this world. The other day, my, my kids were curious, so they pulled out my passports. I think I'm up to 38 countries now. But what I find interesting is that when I travel to these places, one of the, one of the things I, I really enjoy doing is checking out the local museums. Do you realize how many museums there are around the world dedicated to this legacy. To us in this country, it may seem like he's one man, movement against racism. 
But if we're to even read the text that he's written, we know there's more than just the racism that he worked against. And really what he worked against is at the center of our message today. And dare I say at the center of what Epiphany is all about for us as Christians in the Christian church. Dr. King's life was about the call to, on the one hand, love our enemy. Love our enemy, without question. And number two, get angry about the injustices that exist. These two ideologies, if you would, are completely illogical to society. It doesn't make sense. Love your enemy? When was the last time we turned on the TV set or looked at the newspaper where people were talking about loving their enemy? California, we love our litigation. I'm not saying litigation's not good. Don't get me wrong. There is a place for that. But boy, when someone wrongs us in the smallest ways, do we think love our enemy? And yet, this is the idea he was pushing out, while on the other hand saying, we must get angry about the injustices that exist, not only here, but around the world. In fact, in the final year of his life, it cost him because a lot of his friends even came around him and said, what are you doing here? You're caring about the poor, you're talking about the poor, just focus on the cause of the African Americans. And he said, it's, it's beyond that. And it wasn't there. You go look at his writings from the 1950s, he was talking about this back in the 1950s, his early writings, already talking about the poor. God's heart broken for the poor. And so when we talk about MLK today, Dr. King today, and we celebrate in parades tomorrow, sisters and brothers, keep that in mind. And it's a journey. It's something that he joined when he came to this earth. It was, it was going on even before that. He might have brought it to the attention in a very specific way, but it was part of a movement. And since his passing, that movement continues today. Just because we have an African-American for a president, does that mean that racism is over? I don't think so. Just because our schools are no longer segregated, does that mean oppression is done? I don't think so. But if we're going to take the gospel message seriously, if we are going to indeed claim and walk as followers of Jesus Christ, it's all right there, sisters and brothers. We must take this message seriously. But the question for us today, the question for us today, how do we serve God knowing it will bring our lives into a state of crises. How do we serve God knowing that it's going to take our life into turmoil? 
We like easy answers. We like simple answers. In fact, it's human nature to like simple answers. It's human nature to find a logical way of explaining the world around us. But the call to follow Christ is illogical. It doesn't fit in this world. As we read our scripture passages today, we look at, on the one hand, the writing in Isaiah, and on the other hand, in the Corinthians. In many ways, as, as I read this, what I saw happening was, on the one hand, you see the Isaiah passage being written, and then the event of the cross taking place. And then you see, over here, the Corinthian church. Strewn through all of this is the imperfect human being. The Isaiah passage calls out to Israel and says, Israel, broken Israel, chosen people Israel, but don't worry, the perfect Israel is coming. The perfect Israel is coming. Jesus is coming to be the fulfillment of what Israel was not able to be. And then the event of the cross takes place. And then we see the church forming. And where? It forms in Corinth, the Corinthians. Corinthians was a, oh my goodness, ugly place. It was, it was a place which disarray, fallen. And it was within this context that Paul is writing into and calling the church saying, Folks, go out there. Don't sit in your nice little comfortable walls. Go out. Step out. But you know what? You're not going to go out there alone. Christ is there with you. The Holy Spirit is with you. Walk out there. Make your mistakes. Make your blunders. Jeff was saying a little while ago about the times that we had here at L.A. working together in urban ministry. And... Um, one of the things we used to always talk about was, what stupid mistake can we do today? <laughs> what is it that we can go out and try to screw up bigger and better? The only thing is, let's just not repeat the mistakes. Because the thing is, sisters and brothers, if we're not making mistakes, we're not taking the risks. We're not stepping out. We're standing in our comfort zone. And that's what was happening whether it was Israel or whether it was the church, before the cross, after the cross. And it's within this context that we find ourselves. And this passage is a painting of the picture of Christ, but coming not only for Israel, but for the Gentiles as well. God is a God of all people. And a lot of times we like to sit here within our own little enclave here, within our own walls, and, and think about that and not fully understand what God's intentions was and is for us. So as I've read this, there's, there's several passages, uh, several lessons that come to mind. But I think one of the ones that, that struck me was that we are called to take the good news of the gospel to all people, realizing in doing so, we will be creating a crisis in our perfect world. 
our church will get messed up. It will. If, if, if you guys aren't messed up here, then there's a problem. If things are pretty here, there's a problem. I understand it's not always pretty. And frankly, I'm glad to hear that. Because the thing is that as we follow a Christ, we start to realize that the people out there don't understand this illogical message. Because what they understand of us is merely one perspective. Back in August, I had the, the privilege of traveling to Afghanistan, where MCC works with in, in some various different areas. But one of the things that we do is we, we partner with an organization called Help the Afghan Children. And, and, and what they do is they go into school systems out there where education is, is lacking for most young people. And what we're working at is peace education. We're saying, how do we look at conflict reduction by teaching students just some basic skills? And what's been interesting to happen, to see happening was as these young people are learning conflict transformation skills, they're taking them home and using it, using it with their neighbors, using it with their parents, using it with their relatives. And then these adults are coming in and starting to say, well, we want some of this education. But not only that, start to have a conversation about what's going on. Saraya Sajid, who is the director of this organization, was telling me, she said, you know, one of the conversations we like to have is to say, well, where, where does the money come from for this education, this peace education that's being provided? She says, well, it comes from Christians in the United States and Canada. Now, Afghanistan, as you know, is Muslim, predominantly a Muslim country. In fact, the Christians who are in Afghanistan, by and large, are underground. In, in fact, I can't go up to someone and say, hey, what is your faith? And even though they might be a Christian, they would never describe it that way. Not necessarily because it's illegal, but because of what that does to their relationship with their families and their neighbors. And so for Soraya to come out and say, by the way, Soraya is a Muslim woman herself. She's not a Christian. But she's been here to the States a number of times. But for a Muslim woman to come out and say, the funds for this education that's taking place comes from Christians in the United States and Canada. And so then she goes on and she says, by the way, how many <coughs> mosques are there in Afghanistan? And she says, these parents will say, oh, thousands. And she goes, well, how many churches are there in Afghanistan? And they'll say, none. And it's true. There, there are no official churches in Afghanistan. And so then she says, okay, in the United States, how many churches are there? And they'll say, oh, thousands of churches in America. And they'll say, well, how many mosques are there in America? And they'll say, oh, none. And so then Soraya says, well, let me tell you a little bit about America. Because I've been there, I've lived there. And not only that, I've worshipped in mosques in America. And not just one, but many different mosques in America. But the thing is this, the people out there don't understand that. They don't understand what it means to be 
the enemy. My question is this, do we understand what it means when we call them the enemy? Because what this gospel, the gospel message is getting at is to say, if all we do is sit within our four walls and we don't understand the people out there, what's the relevance of the gospel message? How will people ever know about Christ's love if we don't take the step to go out there and meet them where they're at? The world out there is hurting, friends. They're, it's hurting. It's, I, I don't know how else to put it. And it's not pretty. We as Christians must get out of our four walls. We have to. We have to. A second lesson that I draw out of these passages. Things will come together in God's time and not necessarily in the time that we wish it would happen. What this then means is the relinquishing of control. Dr. King, I'm sure he would have wished many a days that what would have happened, what he was working towards could have happened in a matter of months, maybe a year or two. It continues to go on today. We can get excited about issues. We can get excited about doing this or doing that. But if it's really God's kingdom that's going forward, it's not for us to control. It's not even for us to say when it's going to come to an end. We're merely invited participants on this journey. That's it. As Paul was writing, go on out. Christ is there with you. The Holy Spirit is there with you. But it's not about you. It's about God and the kingdom of God. My brother, let me pick on you, if I may, shared this morning about getting to know this friend on the road. That's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. Engaging with people in relationships without an agenda. It's the role of the Holy Spirit to do the converting. That's not our role. It is not our role, friends, to do the converting. That's the role of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit's walking with us. We have nothing to fear. In fact, it's God's problem. Joking with Jeff about Jeff having to clean up. No. After I'm gone, the Holy Spirit's one that's got to do the cleanup because it's about the Holy Spirit. It's not about Jeff, and it's not about Joe. And in many ways, I have to admit, it's that message for me that keeps me going in the work that I do. Whether it's on the streets of Calcutta sitting in Mother Teresa's house or on the streets of Mumbai, or in Beijing, watching the homeless there. It's not about me. It's not about MCC. And dare I say, it's not about you. I'm sorry. You're important, but it's not about you. It's about God. And God's Spirit working through us the world. 
Jeff had shared with you, I was raised in Thailand. In Thailand, one of the things we love to use is bamboo. Bamboo gets used for everything, and it grows like crazy. I remember as a child, we were traveling up into one of the villages, and this, and this rural village was located close to the stream that would come down, and the way they had their, uh, the water system set up there, the plumbing system was they had one house that was close to the stream, and they had this long bamboo that they had hauled out that carried the water from the stream into this one house. And in this house, they had a huge tank. And this water would continue to come in, fill this tank. Well, from this tank, they had another bamboo running to the next house. And so as the water went into that tank, it came on down into this house and filled up the tank in this house. And from here, it took it down to this house, and so on and so forth. And before you knew it, there's only one stream that was coming, I mean, one pipe that was coming from the stream, but all the houses in the village had running water. In many ways, that's what God's blessing is about for us as followers of Christ. God blesses us. Yes, he does. God blesses us. Make no mistake. The question is why. Why does God bless you? God blesses you so that you can be conduits of God's blessing to the world. It's not because I'm perfect or because I'm pretty or because whatever. But the thing, sisters and brothers, if all we do is sit here and say, bless me, God, bless me, God, take care of me, thank you, God, and it's just about Jesus and me and my SUV, <laughs> church ain't going nowhere. We've lost our flavor. Pack up, folks. Go home. We got better things to do on a Sunday morning. But if we're serious about being followers of Jesus Christ, we must recognize that there is a conduit that also must be going out from us. We can't just be taking it in. And you know what? You're never too young to start giving. You're never too just a Christian today to start giving. You're, not, you're never too undermature to start passing it on. Because they see, like in that village that has the bamboo coming down, if one family were to make the decision, say, you know, I don't really feel like passing the water down to the next house, what happens? The blessing doesn't flow. But far too often in this country as I travel around and I meet with sisters and brothers, I hear this prayer saying, God bless me, God take care of me. We forget that the only reason we're blessed is to pass it on. Get it out of here, keep it moving. This country is a wealthy country. Wealthy, wealthy, wealthy country. If the United States is going to be relevant in the 21st century, we need to figure this out as Christians, sisters and brothers. We need to figure this out. What is the relevance of the Christian church in the United States for the 21st century? It starts in this neighborhood. Don't get me wrong. It starts here. Because if you're not relevant in your own backyard, you may as well forget about the world out there. 
But that's where your newsletter gives me hope. I know you're doing it here. Keep doing it. Keep doing it. But move beyond. Because you all have powers that people in other parts of the world can't even dream about. Bring people in here. Yuan, uh, right there, from Laos. Hear her story. Hear about what's happening in that country. But also dare to hear the impact of this country on her country. Dare to hear that story and be humbled by it. But also dare to hear what the Holy Spirit is doing in that country. The Holy Spirit is moving loud. Don't get me wrong. It's happening. It looks different than here. Vastly different. But you're not going to understand the greatness of our God until you get there and see how the Holy Spirit is expressing itself in different parts of the world. You're not going to get it. Because it looks different. And that's the beauty of it. And it's beautiful. The last lesson. I should move on. Um, uh, see. The invitation to us is a call towards greater faithfulness through service to all. The church needs to pay much less attention to its boundaries and more attention to its relationship. The church needs to pay much less attention to its boundaries and much more attention to its relationships. Sisters and brothers, we, I start off by saying we like our comfort zone. We love our walls because walls help us define the world around us. And I'm not talking about these literal walls. I'm talking about the boxes that we have in our life to explain the reality in which we live. But if we're going to get serious about the gospel message and being followers of Christ, we need to become much less serious about those boundaries and much more serious about relationships. About five years ago, I was traveling in the country of Indonesia, and um, there's a local pastor there that said, Joe, I'm, I'm friends with some Muslims here. Muslim leaders, would you like to go visit them with me? These are my friends. And I said, sure, let's go. He didn't say much about them, but we traveled for some time, central Java, into a small town. And as we arrived there, he said, okay, we have, to, we have to walk now. Even though the car can go, we can walk. And so he took me through the back streets. And we finally ended up in this building that was tucked away, almost hidden. And we walk in, the first sign I see above the door, Hezbollah. Hezbollah. Muslim terrorist organization. It's on the US list out here. Didn't quite know what to do with it at first, but I said, okay, it's my friend's friends. I need to go and visit with them. And it was an interesting conversation. As the story turned out, about three years prior to when I went there, the Hezbollah community 
the radical Muslims were part of a larger Muslim community and a fight had broken out between these two, the radical Muslims and the more moderate Muslims. And the issue was this. There had been some Christian missionaries that had come to their community and the Christian missionaries came in and started to work at conversion of the Muslims in there. In that process, they said, now that you're a Christian, you need to change how you dress. Now that you're a Christian, you need to change how you eat. Now that you're a Christian, you need to change where you live. Now that you're a Christian, you need to change your friends. And these new Christians said, okay, if that's what it means, then I'll do that. Well, what did that do in the community? Start to sever the relationships. And so the Hezbollah came in and said, we're not going to take this. And so they start to kill the Christians. Not only the Indonesians, but the Christian missionaries that came. To the point that not only foreigners, but Indonesian Christians were scared to come anywhere close to that community. Scared spitless. But this rift had gotten in between the moderate and the radical Muslims in this community, and they were in a fight. Well, one of the uh, leaders within the moderate community knew of this pastor and said, oh, you're a Mennonite pastor. You know peace building. Can you come and help us, talk to us, help us get along here? And so, at first he said, no, I can't go there. These guys might kill me. I'm a Christian. But after much prayer, decided, okay, I'll go. Long story short, was able to work at bringing these two Muslim communities together to live together again. But the challenge he gave to my friend and again to me on that same day, I will never forget. And he said, where were you at 15 years ago? when I was there killing Christians with my bare hands because I was so angry. He said, I walked into a room and when I was done, there's blood on the floor everywhere of the people that I killed. Where were you when that took place? Because the Christianity that I learned from you is different than what they told me. Where were you? Why did you not come here 15 years ago? Why did you wait so long? to come here to tell me about Jesus. It was a very humbling day for me. And it was a day that I realized, again, that we cannot, as Christians, sisters and brothers, remain in this wall. And we must be willing to walk out there. We must be. Go out there and engage those who need to know Jesus Christ. In closing, I'd like to read a quote from Dr. King. And it's a quote that um, I think is important for us to keep in mind today. He wrote, and this was back in 1963, the church must be reminded that it is not the master or the servant of the state, but rather the conscience of the state. It must be the guide and the critic of the state and never 
its tool. If the church does not recapture its prophetic zeal, it will become irrelevant, a irrelevant social club without moral or spiritual authority. We must regain it, sisters and brothers. We must regain it. Society is pushing us down one road and telling us what happiness means and how we should be living our lives. The gospel message is calling us in a different way. My prayer to you and for you is that you have the strength and the wisdom to follow Jesus and accept his commands as they come your way. Peace and blessings to all of you. This comes from Colossians 3, 15 through 17. Hear this word from God to each of us. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Amen.